up, everybody? It's Shrews, the host of the Shrews cast, back again with my co-host Josh Buchanan. And today we have quite a show for you. We'll be discussing what we've been doing the past couple weeks. We'll be discussing game one of the NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics, as well as some video game stuff. And uh, there's just a whole lot to get into. How are you doing, Josh? There we go. Crack that open for the working man. Uh, not too bad. Had to get that can in there for the comedic effect. But uh, not too bad. Just been a crazy, crazy couple weeks. Um, had a holiday shift there, but then uh, managed to get in an off day. And uh, real briefly, managed to uh, get in a couple days with uh, Michael Shrewsbury to uh, – go over to the card shop over here down the road and play some Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh, learn how to, excuse me, get more competitive with it. Man, that's actually really awesome. Yu-Gi-Oh! has far and away completely surpassed my knowledge of what it is these days. My knowledge of Yu-Gi-Oh! pretty much died with, uh, I think it was 5Ds. Yeah, with the uh, the Synchro Summons. But, uh, I don't know. It's been... Uh, He's really helped me a lot to learn how to better use the the new meta and the new uh, the new style of gameplay. But it's not too too far off. There's just some other additions here and there. But uh, I've managed to win a couple games off of them, and uh, along the way, build a stronger deck to go with my uh, my go to, which is usually a dark magician type deck. But uh, learning how to play some other styles, too, because I'm definitely down to learn how to adapt because there are so many ways to win and lose at that game. So uh, just learning how to get better in a competitive sense where I've never really been in that competitive style for a long, long time. Never played any tournaments or anything like that, but it's been a while since I've actually ever dueled anyone, period. I've just been had a collection that was gathering dust. But, yeah, uh, it's good to get back out there, and uh, so you know, try to get out there maybe at least once a week and sit under the learning tree a little bit for a couple hours and gain some knowledge and uh, get better because it only goes up from there. So, you know, at first it was a little difficult because the setup that I had, I wasn't drawing what I needed and <clears throat> making it way too easy. Then he showed me a new setup today, even, and lo and behold, I was actually, I feel, the most competitive I've been since I've got back into it. So, it's a start, but, uh, you know, just going to try to keep at it and see where it goes. But, uh, you know, other than relearning or really learning more about the competitive side of it, I've just been knocking down some of... uh, Reading in the Star Wars universe, just to put a wrap up on the Star Wars month there. I'm on to the novelizations of the first three movies. I've made it through Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and I am now a third of the way through Revenge of the Sith. That's impressive, man. And just going back to Yu Gi Oh!, uh, I remember Michael trying to explain it to me, and I know back when I played you know i never played in tournaments either i was mostly 
I take my Yu-Gi-Oh cards to Mullins Elementary and Mullins Middle before they got banned, and I'd duel people there. But it seems like it's a lot less about monster power these days and a lot more about card effects. It is a very whole lot about card effects, but it's also how much you can get on the board in one turn. So that's really a, a lot of help there. And I've seen what he's been able to do, and it's miles and away from where I ever was and everything. But uh, I managed to at least get a couple games off of him with the new setups that I've had. So, you know, hey, it's progress. That's it cool. is progress. After the wedding, man, it seems like a bunch of the people I had as groomsmen have kind of branched off and became like, I. it's like I've made like a little clique of separate friends that are friends besides me. I mean, TJ and Brian have been talking. I know you and Michael have been talking. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it all reaches out, you know, and, you know, it's all about finding the time and finding the common ground, and I think that's what's helping us a little bit is we've been able to have that time to uh, to be able to do that. So it's actually pretty cool. And uh, to bounce off of that, too, uh, real quickly, <clears throat> the Sunday before Memorial Day, I was watching 1,100 miles of racing, pretty much. There were two races. One was 500 miles. One was 600 miles. The 500-mile race is the world-famous Indianapolis 500. Um, it was in its 106th running. Dude, these, these open-wheel cars, at 230 miles an hour and everything, it is fun to watch them go around that oval. I know sometimes oval racing is not the most appealing thing, but with those open wheel cars, that much danger and with that much speed, it that one's definitely such an adrenaline rush to uh, to sit and watch. Yeah, man. Before, then, I, before I learned about your lineage and your last name being or your middle name being Earnhardt, man, you would have been probably one of the last few people I would have ever assumed like NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was brought in pretty much, I'd say, from the womb. So, you know, it was it was over and out for me. But, you know, I don't follow it as closely as I used to. But, I mean, I'll still watch a lot of the bigger races. Like, anytime Daytona 500's on or anytime short track race at Bristol, Motor Speedway's on, that one's always a fun one to watch. Um. Any race at Talladega, because they at Talladega and Daytona is closest to what the Indy 500 would be for NASCAR in terms of speed and pack racing and everything, and where anybody can truly win those races. Because on some of these tracks, the winners are kind of dead giveaways, but on those uh, those bigger tracks like Daytona and Talladega, man, the unpredictability is unreal. It's uh, it's unlike any other. I guess that's one thing I do. A lot of other sports, uh, there are several times where you can indicate who the winner's probably going to be. But NASCAR, uh, it seems like it could be any driver any given day. So, I mean, I imagine that's probably like a nightmare for sports betters and stuff. But that that does have an oh, yeah. when it comes to NASCAR. Yeah, you know, it's just... 
you got to you got to figure out sometimes who has the momentum, and then when one guy's just not dominating, then it really makes things difficult. You know, because really, I think the era of guys like who dominated the sport, like a Petty, like an Earnhardt, like Gordon, like Johnson, uh, Jimmy Johnson, I should say. You know, I think <clears throat> that has become a dying breed in NASCAR. You know, I think it's going to be a long time before there's ever someone who dominates the sport like that again. I really do. I don't. It, it, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime to see somebody win eight NASCAR championships to break the tie that's there with uh, Richard Petty, Dale Senior, and Jimmy Johnson. I just don't see it happening. Uh, it's. It seems like dynasties are getting harder to maintain all across sports, not just NASCARs, you know. I don't know a whole lot about NASCAR, man, but I do know who Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Sr. I know Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Dale. I know a few of them, but uh, my knowledge is very limited. But, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that sports is growing as an entertainment medium, much like Mm -hmm. video games. So more people are getting into them, which dilutes the talent pool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, before all those guys, really, you got to think back to it. Um, really, NASCAR started because it was basically the people running the moonshine, the bootleggers and everything. They had to have the cars to, you know, get away from the revenueers, as they call it. Um, so, you know, they had to have the modified cars to have the speed and everything. Then I guess somebody just looked at the other said, I'm faster than you and I can prove it. Then they started racing on the actual beach of Daytona. And that started before they had the paved uh, Daytona International Speedway that there is now. Because <clears throat> the first Daytona 500 that we know it as was not run until 1959. And back then it was a photo finish to see the first winner. And it took a couple days before uh, Lee Petty Richard Petty's father was announced as the official winner of the first Daytona 500. And then, obviously, his son Richard became the king of NASCAR, 200 NASCAR victories, seven championships. And then uh, somebody named Earnhardt took the blue-collar world by storm and was also a polarizing figure for his racing style. But, you know, honestly... You had to know who you were going up against. You had to know he was going to be aggressive. And, you know, if you wasn't going to get out of the way and was holding him up, he had no problem making sure you got out of the way. Oh, yeah. That's why they, that's why they called him the Intimidator. It always and, it always seems like in sports, there's always that one mythical historic figure that has so many accomplishments, it's hard to believe. Like, like you said with Richard Petty, um, being like the godfather of NASCAR, and then the new guy on the block, Dale Earnhardt, at the senior at the time. And then you think of the, the NBA with like Bill Russell winning 11 championships in 13 years, and then Michael Jordan coming along 30 years think, later. And think about this. In Dale Sr.'s 1987 championship season, he had like – out of 29 races, he had, I think it was 11 wins, which back then was unheard of, too, a lot of times. 21 top fives, I want to say, and 25 top tens. 
back then it was all about consistency. You know, a lot of nowadays with the way the playoff system runs in NASCAR anymore, anytime the points reset one bad week and you're out. Right. But back then it was about how good you were throughout the season, not just at a given point. Um, and to me, you know, that, that's kind of, those kind of stats speak volumes. And, you know, <laughs> I guess Senior was a mythical figure really at that point because there was a story that came out that uh, actually that was talked about on the Dale Jr. podcast where it came out that a couple guys went on to Senior's farm to try to hunt some of the deer over there at pitch black at night. Dale Senior found them, broke his hand on their face. And they didn't try to get back on that property again. And that was before a championship banquet. So what did he do? He just put a cast on his hand, painted it black, or had it painted black. Showed up at the banquet with a cast on his hand because he broke it, getting some people off of his property that were trespassing. That reminds me of a story of, this is completely off topic. We've never really discussed music. But anybody who knows me knows I am a diehard Toby Keith fan. He was... As far as I can remember, far back I can remember, his song "I Want to Talk About Me." I can, I, I just remember singing that as like a five, six-year-old kid. And uh, anyways, there was a story that he played. He he played semi-professional football growing up for a team called the Oklahoma Drillers, mm-hmm. and he wanted to play college ball while he when he was in his late twenties, early thirties, when his Music career was really taking off, and he played for the Oklahoma Sooners because he's from Oklahoma. And he went on the field, first play of the game, broke his leg, and later that night he went on to perform a concert on his broken leg. <laughs> it's crazy to think, and uh, you know he was he was also really good at the track. Talking about uh, Dale Senior now, you think about the days when he switched over. In 1987, he was in a blue and yellow Wrangler Chevrolet. It was in the year after when he went to become uh, the man in black in the Goodwrench Chevrolet in the black number three that we all know and love today. Think about this. In his last six victories of his career, four of them came on those two tracks, Daytona and Talladega. Three of them at Talladega. He swept both races in 1999 and in the fall of 1999, he started the race in 27th out of 43 cars. That's not a good good starting position. In five laps, I believe he was fifth. In five laps, he went all the way up through the field. That's incredible. Uh, then, like I said, I, you probably know that that's a monumental feat more than I do, but I did have a question for you. All righty. You know, in the majority of sports, the older you get – your skills tend to decline. Is NASCAR a sport like that? Or does the experience of all the races you've been in, is that actually an asset to you? It can be an asset in the right moment. Um, But, you know, a lot of times the younger generation does end up sometimes having a lot more of the edge at that point um, over the younger competition. But, you know, a lot of those wily veterans, all you have to do is just be in the right place and right time. I'll give you an example in just a moment. But going back to where we were talking about Earnhardt, you want a more monumental feat? 
take his last victory at Talladega in the fall of 2000. Four laps to go. He's in 18th. He gets some uh, drafting help or, you know, a push from behind by a guy by the name of Kenny Wallace, whose brother was Rusty Wallace. And he went all the way from 18th to win the race in four laps. I mean, I feel like in NASCAR, I mean, like I said, I've only watched it a handful of times. I did watch the race because Dad was watching it, where he unfortunately passed away. But uh, I do imagine that – what's the seconds gap between first place and last place probably in NASCAR? Hmm. Depends on where you're racing that because – First to last on a restricted on a restricted plate track, which is basically which there's only two Daytona and Talladega. First and last could only be maybe just a couple of seconds, uh, because you know when you're in that pack and everything, all it takes is one person to go awry and then everybody starts wrecking, and then you're trying to duck and dodge and try to get out of the way, which <coughs> could also benefit the people who are in that last place spot, because then that could put them right in contention for the win. Yeah, that's – so, for like for him to accomplish that, uh, I know two, sec- two seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm sure it's like an eternity in racing. And, mm-hmm. um, especially so when, seen, especially like- when, when you don't have that many laps and you know you're faster, but then you start overdriving it. Then you cost yourself. So he was making like micromanagement decisions that every decision he made was shaving off like probably hundreds, tenths of a second. Mm -hmm. And when Kenny Wallace linked up behind him, he had one hand on the wheel and one hand sticking out of the windshield, waving Kenny Wallace up to his bumper to give him a shove. He was telling him, come with me, I will take you to the front. That's why they call, you know, Senior and then eventually called his son Dale Jr. That's why they call those guys the Pied Piper. Because they're so good on those tracks that when they tell you to go with them, you go with them and they'll guide you there. I I couldn't imagine racing NASCAR at all. Like sometimes I get terrified going 70, 80 down the interstate. I couldn't imagine going I'd say cars probably go a little faster than they did 20 years ago, but well, it could go anywhere from 150 to about 210 miles an hour. So I could not imagine going that rate of speed. And the thing a lot of people don't know about NASCAR, they're like, why is it a sport? These people aren't taxing their bodies. They're just racing <laughs> in cars. And then my brother, he, his uh, ex-girlfriend, her family was big on NASCAR. And he was telling me about how, the insides of the cars got so hot that you could lose like 15 pounds in sweat. Mm-hmm. People need IV. Even greats like Jimmy Johnson had to go have IV fluids after races because they were so dehydrated because the temperature outside is nothing compared to the on-track temperature. You know, it could be like 80-some degrees, and the track temperature could be close to 120 because of that asphalt. Oh, for sure. And you have all that asphalt with all that rubber, all that sheet metal and everything, and you're in there for at least a good three and a half, four hours on end. You know, 
And those car temperatures could reach about, I've seen thermometers, about 125, 130 degrees, depending on how hot it is. Yeah, I definitely have respect for those guys because last year I did carpentry work with my father-in-law and brother, or my now father-in-law and brother-in-law. And let me tell you, we were putting shingles on a roof and the sun's beating down on you and the heat's coming off those shingles. And then think about it too. Ask Kyle Bush, who had his leg broke because he hit a wall so hard. Tell him he's not an athlete. Exactly. I think I how I determine what an athlete is is by I, I consider an athlete someone that's either in great physical shape or competes in something. I can I, I really consider an athlete someone that competes in and, something. And think of Dale Jr., who had to retire because of concussions the multiple concussions he had over his career that started to affect his driving. Oh, yeah. I, like I said, I've got great respect for anybody who's the top of their craft. Which he and said he's donating his uh, brain to research when he passes for concussion research. I'm actually doing the same thing, man. So, you know, it's, it's all in what you make of it. But, uh, yeah. Anybody who says they're not, put yourself in that same position and think, okay, yeah, I'll go, I can go do all this for three and a half, four hours and it'd be nothing. <laughs> Wait till you get behind the wheel of it and do exactly what they're doing. Not change a single thing about it. Like every, people don't, I hate when people say, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm like 60% a basketball guy, like, probably 60% no I'd say about 55% love basketball then probably 35% football and then like 10% every other sport uh I just hate when people say that they can beat professional athletes at what they do like they're like oh so and so sucks because just say somebody in the NBA only averages two points well that NBA player that's only averaging two points a game was the star of their middle school team their elementary school team their high school team their college team mm-hmm like Pete, like like Brian Scalabrini said, he is closer to LeBron James than an average athlete is to him. And you know that, that's a very valid point because I mean, we don't do the same grind that they do. We don't have the same schedule, and we don't have that same kind of work ethic that they have in terms of their skill and their craft. I mean, some of it's just God given genetics. That I mean. I could train my whole life. Yeah, I'm not going to be six foot ten. It don't matter how. It doesn't matter how hard I train. No, that you can't train stuff like that. No, you're right. That's just a gift. But um, but it definitely takes work. I feel like to be a professional athlete, you have to have an insane work ethic matched with great genetics. It's like a culmination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely takes a lot, and it and it takes a lot out of you too. But um, you know, we digress a little bit with it. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to think how much everything has changed over the years. But you know, I still get enjoyment out of it. So for me, that's how I spent my Memorial Day Sunday, and then uh, that following Tuesday and today, met up with Michael to tackle some Yu-Gi-Oh cards and dueling and deck building and just having a good time just to 
get back into it because it had been a long time since I had somebody who would help build decks, much less dual decks. So, you know, I tell you, you know, I had so much fun with it and I'm going to try to at least make it a once a week type deal. So for me, it definitely feels good to get back into it. So, uh, but yeah, you know, if we ever do it sometime, I'll try my best to go with it a little bit, kind of like how uh, Michael tried earlier, but it's really not too, too far different. There's a few little changes here and there and some tweaks over the years, but, you know, you have a fundamental knowledge, it's easy to pick up. I'll tell you what, Michael can be your Yu-Gi-Oh buddy. If we play a card game, I'll be your Pokemon. Pokepal, there we go. Hey, I got I got a few decks over here for Pokemon and everything like that, so, uh, you know, I got everything we need there. We got some damage counters and... You know, coins for coin toss and extra game mats and everything like that. A few sh- structure decks that are already pre-made. So, uh, you know, I might have to take you up on that. For sure, man. Uh, but, I mean, we've talked a little bit of Nat. We've talked a whole lot of NASCAR. And honestly, I do find it fascinating. But how about game one of the NBA Finals? The last six series, I predicted 6-0. and oh, But if Golden State does not improve, then I might have my first series wrong. And, and, of course, it'll Boston, be the most important one. Boston played ready to win a championship. Let's just call it like we see it. The Celtics were ready. The Warriors thought they had it in the bag. Absolutely. I don't think every, but, Warrior, I don't think every Warrior thought that. I mean, but, Steph, Steph went out blazing starting the game, 21 points in the first quarter. But, I mean, honest, honestly, though, the Celtics kind of had an unreal – uh, fourth quarter. I don't know too many games where there's been a fourth quarter like that where just it, basically every shot was going in for the Boston Celtics. I'll I tell mean, you, man. There's you know, not going to be very many games like that, so you do have to kind of take those fourth quarter, you know, that big offensive spurt with a grain of salt because, you know, that kind of offense can come any given day. But then again, it could be just as off any given day. But right. the Boston defense did what they needed to do to help that offense. If it wasn't with that Boston defense giving the Warriors fits in that fourth quarter, we wouldn't have seen that comeback. Like The I Celtics, said- I think, were more ready than what anybody was giving them credit for. I mean, you have to give a lot of credit to – I think his name's Ime Yadoka, the uh, head coach. I mean, yeah, because Brad, Brad Stevens went up to the front office and he was, I believe he was Stevens' selection uh, to the head coaching spot. So, I mean, and Brad Stevens knows his basketball. You know, he, he's no pushover. He's He's been close to it over there, but he, uh, he had to run he through the wrong he knew, so many times. Yeah. And then, you know, just some pieces that just didn't gel well. You know, Kyrie, but <laughs> I mean, and that's, well. and, Kyrie. but I mean, Kyrie's a great player, but you know, it's it's kind of like a Kevin Durant and a James Harden. No wonder they all went to Brooklyn together because you know, the Brooklyn super egos. But did I say that out loud? Oh well, anyway. Um, you saw and you see where that's all headed. 
Kyrie might actually be heading to Lakerland, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> we're going to give respect to the finals teams first because they earned their way to it. But we have to give credit where credit is due to guys, the two guys that really sealed the game. I mean, Tatum, we know Tatum's going to do what he's going to go and supposed to do. Marcus Smart made his contributions, but we cannot speak enough about these two guys, I don't think, because these were the co-MVPs of that game one. Derek White and Al Horford, especially Al Horford, but you got to throw Derek White in there too because he was hitting some unreal three-point shots in that fourth quarter. I don't know if he's a free agent, man, but Derek White has definitely earned himself a pay raise, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. That he most definitely has. And Al Horford, I don't know what it is. There's something about that Boston green that just brings out the best in him. I mean, Al Horford's always been a great player, but he just – I think I saw on ESPN that he had played 140 postseason games, which is the most all-time without reaching an NBA Finals. Then he gets his one chance he's had so far at the NBA Finals. He just grabs it, grabs hold of it, and just runs with it. That's a true professional. That's somebody who knows that this isn't a given. So. Yeah, I mean, he's 35. He's, I mean, I, I'm not, the, I don't like to be the guy that says he's on the downside of his career, but I mean, I feel like I can say certainly he's closer to the end of his career than he is to the beginning. But he is having a renaissance right now in that Boston Green. Oklahoma City's probably wishing they didn't trade him now, but. Well, actually, the, actually, actually, I think he would have helped win games. They're trying to get as many lottery picks as possible. So I actually don't think they would want Al Horford to do that. You never know about some of these teams anymore. So, because NBA sometimes is a fickle league, you know, but I have to have appreciation for guys like Al Horford and Derek White who went out there and fought. They fought for that win because I honestly thought, you know, the way kind of things were going there that it was going to end up being a Warriors win. But, man, when that Celtics offense started to get some juice going, then the defense started clicking. Then they put the whole thing together. And that's when that Boston team became dangerous. And that's when they started really looking like a championship team. Not just a contender. They're a championship team. I, I mean, think they took the, I think they took that step. Now, we'll see if the experience can counteract this kind of a momentum shift as time progresses. But you can't deny that momentum is definitely in the favor of that green and white getting an 18th championship. And actually, man, this may be sacrilegious as a diehard 22-year-long Lakers fan. But it wouldn't hurt me that bad to see Boston win it because, just because, that means the Lakers will have to put that much pressure on themselves to catch back up. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, I think because there have been these reports that we're considering keeping Russell Westbrook. And I think in the right system, Russell Westbrook can thrive. And uh, But I just don't believe that the Lakers are that team. Um I made a little post on Facebook today talking about my ideal Lakers offseason. And uh, we'll get back to the championship in a second. But it's just the Lakers, 
Lakers need to learn from Boston. Boston took pieces. They had their two superstars, and they have a bevy of talented role players. The Lakers' problem was they had three star-studded players that didn't fit together, and then they had the retirement home as their uh, – you see, when when the teams are more built as opposed to bought, these built teams earn their pay raises. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, you know Tatum's going to get his because Boston's not going to let him go anytime soon. But, you know, that's not saying a bad thing about Tatum because he's absolutely phenomenal. Let's not, you know, let's not be ridiculous about it at this point. They're, but, they're- you know – you. Sorry. It's those uh, it's those other core pieces. Marcus Smart showing off his defensive prowess, defensive player of the year. That doesn't go lightly, you know. And everybody thought that Marcus Smart was – I mean, he was erratic at first, you know, especially with the flop game and everything like that that he had. But now it's found, it's found the right pieces and everything, and I think Marcus Smart has definitely shown an evolution of not just his game, but just of himself in that sense. And, you know, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown's been kind of just silent good. And sometimes that can even be dangerous because sometimes the silent good is what gets you if you're the opposing team. There are two players in the NBA right now that remind me of the late, great Kobe Bryant in some way. And those two players are, I'll say three. I'll go three. Jason okay, Tatum. let me guess two. I was going to say Jason Tatum. Uh, one of them you'll say is Devin Booker. I'm actually not going to say De- Devin Booker. I don't feel has the mindset. Devin Booker's kind of immature. When Kobe, I mean, granted, I won't lie. Kobe had his immature moments, especially off the court and stuff. But when he was on the court, his goal was to assassinate you, end you, end your season, wreck your hopes and dreams. And play style in terms of offensive game, Jason Tatum reminds me of Kobe. In terms of defense and killer mentality and wanting to dominate the game, Jimmy Butler reminds me a lot of Kobe. And personality-wise, uh, I see a little bit of Kobe and Kawhi Leonard's game when he's not injured. Yeah, and that's something that the Lakers are going to have to contend with because Kawhi will be back. Ah. So, so the Clippers are going to be a little more dangerous than what they were. This Lakers, this uh, there, there's this Lakers podcast I listen to called Lakers Nation, and their biggest fear is that next year Boston's going to repeat as Eastern Conference champions, and then the Clippers are going to be as Western, and then that they're not going to be able to root for anybody in the finals. <laughs> honestly, I, might... I, but if I had to pick, I'd honestly pick the Clippers because you know, even if Clippers win one championship, I mean they're still 16 behind the Lakers. But if Boston were to win this year and win another one, they're two ahead of the Lakers. And, I mean, the Celtics and the Lakers have been battling for championship supremacy since the 80s. Yeah. Um, And I think I found a second nightmare. And I alluded this to you uh, not just a few moments ago, but also earlier in the day from reports that I'd seen that there's a possibility that there could be a swap in one section of New York with uh, the Lakers show over there, and it involves the point guard position. It involves sending Russell to Brooklyn and 
reuniting him with KD, which <laughs> would be mind-blowing to me at this point, and sending Kyrie to reunite with LeBron, which would also be mind-blowing to me at this point. The th- I, I don't think that the three – with how – how much money stars are making these days? I don't think the three-star model is going to sustain lead to sustained success in the NBA anymore. I feel like you need uh, like an All NBA like top fifteen player, and then you need like a top thirty player, and then you need uh, cast a role uh, uh, cast a good fitting role players. Yeah, I can see that. I, yeah, I think the era of the big three is definitely dying. I'm not going to say it's dead yet. But it's definitely on life support. Like I said, uh, for me, what I'd like the Lakers to do this offseason, I think they did a good job in hiring Darvin Ham as their head coach. Um, We got championship pedigree with him from the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, From what I've read, he has the respect of the Bucks locker room from players like Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton. So, he seems to have the ability to coach stars. Um, the thing I need, then after Darvin Ham, I'd love to trade Russell for to Charlotte, along with a first round pick, pick up Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre, because the NBA is transitioning to positionless basketball, and the best type of player you can have is that like six seven through six nine wing player that can switch between the two, the three, and the four. So, well, we will. so doing that offloads Russell, uh, that gives us two wings. And then if Golden State does not pay him, I would love to see the Lakers offer Otto Porter uh, their only mid-level exception contract, which is about $6 million. Give him that. And then uh, I'd like to – the center position is unique in the NBA. Back in the – 80s and 90s especially, you had to have a star-studded center unless you were Michael Jordan to win. Yeah. and But now the center's kind of like, as long as the center can jump, block shots, and now they have to have a three ball to be playable for the most part. That's the problem with players like Andre Drummond and Jaleel Okafor. Those players never really, those players would have been great 10, 15, 20 years ago. But now they're getting played off the court because they can't play in the paint the whole time because they're out there having to guard the Brooke Lopez's and Serge Ibaka's of the world. Not that they're necessarily the greatest shooters in the world, but that's the nature of the game. But, but uh, then I would for center I would like to sign Damian Jones. He's a backup on the Sacramento Kings. Um, the Lakers had him on like a two-way contract. Uh, last season before this one, and he played pretty well. You don't to win the NBA. You really need to have elite wing play. You don't have to have a great center. As great as Joel Embiid is, as great as Nikola Jokic is, you know, it's those switchy defenders that tend to win games in this modern NBA. Yeah, modern NBA. I don't I don't know. Sometimes the changes I'm not a big fan of, but then, you know, seeing some of Curry's game and everything like that just reminds me of why I sort of, you know, why, you know, still have some love for the great 
players of the NBA as opposed to a team because, you know, any team can be the top team on any given season. But um, it's it's all in what you make of the situation and, you know. Well, you know, in terms of the NBA, I'm just going to speak on the NBA. I'm a huge fan of the centers developing their games and been able to shoot threes and been able to shoot mid-range jumpers and been above average from the free throw line. I, I'm a big fan of that. The only thing I wish they bring back from the NBA of old is I would like to see a little more phys- allowed physicality and a lot less soft calls. Because there's a lot of them. Anybody that watched the Eastern Conference Finals will tell you sometimes about that. Yeah, I just I'll never I'll never get like, but in some ways, as, in some ways, as my uncle, ways, as my uncle, as my uncle Dave calls it, ticky tack calls. Oh yeah, my mom says, my mom and dad, my dad grew up watching like Doctor J, Moses Malone, and those old school Sixers teams, and that's but, my father. But in some ways, uh, there is. Uh, a benefit to that because you have to be a little bit more skilled defensively. You can't just be, go around being Bill and Beer just throwing people on the ground. <laughs> you need somebody like a Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I, I'm. People don't believe this, but when everybody asks me who my favorite starting five in NBA history is, if I could, if I could pick my five favorite players, each one from each position, my point guard would either be Gary Payton or Jason Kidd. My shooting guard's obviously Kobe Bryant. He's my favorite player of all time. My small forward's Bird. My power forward is Dennis Rodman. And my center is Hakeem Olajuwon. I hear you. That team brings defense, hustle, tenacity, and heart, and skill. Because you think about it, Jordan is more efficient than Kobe. I will obviously, you know, shooting 50% from the field. Jordan... And Kobe's about a 45% average, so that's 5%. But I think Kobe had more of a skill set, if that makes sense. I, a lot of people disagree with me, and that's completely fine. Everybody has their opinion. But I've seen 20-minute compilations on YouTube of Kobe Bryant hitting behind-the-head shots, shots with three defenders in his face. And then, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, back in the 90s, Dave Robinson won that MVP, and they met in the playoffs, and, Hakeem made him look like a baby. Do you remember that? I I do kind of vaguely remember that. So Hakeem averaged. Right, like, uh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Hakeem averaged ahead. like Hakeem averaged like twenty four points, twelve rebounds, like four blocks on David Robinson that that series. All right, let me see. Let me see if I can try to think of the five that could provide a pretty good matchup. If you know. For all things considered, okay. Now, so, are, you, are you going by true position, or are you going to throw someone like LeBron James at point guard? Because Gary Payton's not doing anything with LeBron at point guard. No, I'm gonna. I'm going to. Hmm. To toss between the two. I'll probably, I'll probably, I'll probably go Curry as my point. That that's smart. Because not only is he efficient 
shooting, he's efficient with running offense. That's true. I mean, people crucify me for saying this as a Lakers fan, but I honestly believe that Bird is a vastly superior player to Magic Johnson. As for shooting guard. You know you're taking Michael. Yeah, but do I want to put him as the two or would I want to put him in a small forward position? Mix things up a little bit. I would uh, there are several there are several series in NBA history I would have liked to have seen. And I would have liked to have seen Jordan stick around the Bulls for a couple more seasons. And I would have liked to have seen if they could have played the Lakers sometime during their three-peat. And, of course, back in the late 2000s, I would have loved to see Kobe and LeBron go at it. Yeah. That's That's always the matchups we never got. That's the biggest tragedy in sports, I believe, is Kobe and LeBron not meeting in the finals. That's definitely one of them. I will say that. Um, hmm. Got to think on it for a minute because sometimes it can be a little bit of a tricky situation when you get into this kind of a stuff. But um, yeah, I'll I definitely got I definitely got Jordan on the team. I just got to think of best I tell position. you, I, I consider Jerry West for the shooting guard position. Because and then because then you could really switch West and Curry. Exactly. So, and then I could that would put Jordan at a three because he sometimes played small forward because that six six frame kind of made him a good two three hybrid. Exactly. So, I'm curious to who you're putting in your four and five though. Uh, give me big fundamental. Are you going to take Tim Duncan? Okay. Ooh. Got a choice of three Lakers centers. You know the ones I'm thinking of, but which one am I going to go with? I'm assuming you're picking between Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Shaquille O'Neal. You would be correct. The question is, which one? Well, let's see. If you want pure dominance, you can either go with Wilt or Shaq. If you want skill and finesse, I'd go with Kareem. Uh, I don't know. If, if I was picking for you, I'm not going to pick for you. You're your own man, but I was picking, I would probably, I'd probably throw Wilt Chamberlain in there. I know my dad would probably take Wilt. Kareem, the only only problem with Kareem is I don't think he's strong enough to compete with Hakeem. And Hakeem was just a skill to offense. Kareem, I think think I'd go with Shaq because I need to match physicality with physicality. Because Hakeem was physical. So was Big Diesel. Hakeem's footwork, though, Hakeem's footwork, though, is just fun. That's why I like skilled players because whenever I try to judge who the greatest is, I would be like, okay, who would be better? Someone with Shaq's worth ethic of skill set in Kobe's body or Kobe and Shaquille O'Neal's body? So that would probably be starting for reserves. Give me, give me Chris Paul. That's a good choice. Give me Iverson. A little small, but not bad. Hey, you know, that didn't stop him from reaching the finals and stepping over uh, Tyrone Lou, did it? No. Hey, I don't care about size. Because he's got some skill. 
Okay, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you my reserves after you're done. I'll put Wilt as my reserve center. Wilt is your reserve center. Okay. Give me Dirk. Dirk's a good give choice. A, get, I'll give it, take a shooting power forward. That's smart. Now for the backup three. Oh, geez. It's a tough one. I mean, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm sure if any NBA fans listen to your podcast, they're screaming LeBron James's name at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, I mean. I got a fun little bat reserve coming up for you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'll probably put, I'd probably go with, LeBron in there, but I'm not – forget running LeBron is the point. LeBron is running what he needs to run because, you know, because he's got to follow up another 23. He wants to be the greatest. He needs to – he need you know, beat Mike at his own game, be better. Here's your chance. See what he's doing. See what you think he's doing wrong. See what you can do better. Okay. Now, for my reserves, I'm going to go. Give me John Stockton for steals and pass, steals and assists. Good choice. Okay. At shooting guard. That's a tough one. Shooting guard, give me a, give me Pistol Pete. Okay. At small actually, forward, at small forward, actually, actually, I want to swap my center for a second. Give me Bill Russell. All right, you'll take Bill Russell. Give me Bill Russell. Okay. So I'll take Pistol Pete as my shooting guard along with Stockton. Give me Tracy McGrady as my small forward. Mm. That's uh, a good one. Power forward. I like him a lot. Give me Charles Barkley. I like Charles. Hey, he's he's a good rebounder. That's actually a good selection. And for center, this is going to be my most underrated choice. I'm not doing this in terms of who I think is the best. I'm doing it as my favorites. Give me Ben Wallace. Ooh, okay. Because he, he Ben Wallace did have some really good defense. So, well, either way, neither one of us are going to have great centers at the free throw line at that point. So, hey, when it when it gets to our free throw shooting from our centers, they're going to suck. For sure. I remember Ben Wallace just swallowed up the Defensive Player of the Year award in the mid-2000s. So, uh... From, like, 2004 yeah. to 2007 or something? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll take I'll take Russell because he's kind of that Wilt dominant because he was one of the reasons why Wilt didn't win championships early in his career. Because that Celtics team was ready just in that right place, right time. I mean, I'll argue that it also contributes to the six other Hall of Famers you had on the roster with him. So, but, uh, but you know, that's not a knock on Russell because Russell dominated the game. <laughs> so, I got to have somebody who can dominate down there too, so. Okay, that but, would be. Yeah, but, give me, but give me Shaq because I need somebody who can kind of rough Hakeem up a little bit. Oh, for sure. If you're looking for strictly roughing up, man, Shaq's Shaq's a good it'd be, one. For it'd it. be an interest. It'd be an interesting matchup too with uh, 
Rodman and Duncan. I feel I feel like obviously Robin's not going to score the points, but you don't need Robin scoring a ton of points when you've got Kobe Bryant, and Larry Bird, and Hakeem Olajuwon out he there. He didn't need to, he he didn't need to score points in Chicago. Uh, and then Phil Phil never asked never really asked him to be the scorer. And then Gary Payton, he can run an offense, but he can clamp your starting point guard. And then uh, Hakeem's just. Hakeem's the all-time shot block, block shot, recorded block shots later. I'm sure Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell will probably have something to say about that. That's, that's kind of why I had to go Curry against Peyton because they called Peyton the glove for a reason. So I got to match his clamp with my speed. That's, so, you know, I got to go greasy fast speed. Speaking, yeah, for sure. Speaking of which, Marcus Smart is the – first point guard since Gary Payton to win the Defensive Player of the Year award. I kind of forget that he's labeled as a point. Just because I never really see him as such, but, you know. But, uh, you know, we have talked a ton of sports, and I've had a good time. I always enjoy talking sports, especially with someone that's knowledgeable on the subject. Um, Far too many times I talk to people that are biased. I mean, I will say I'm biased in my love of Kobe Bryant as opposed to whoever, but at the same time, I can admit when people have faults and whatnot. But, and I know where you're going with this, it's time to digress into the other side of the conversation, and that is in the world of the video game format. Yes, sir, and a couple days ago, we had a Pokemon Presents where, uh, let's just say this Pokemon game, I know Pokemon games will probably never win Game of the Year, but uh, if it was a one-time solo thing, I definitely think it would give Elden Ring, just judging by what I've seen, it would give Elden Ring a run for its money. I mean, it's got online multiplayer, um, you actually get to play with your friends in a tangible Pokemon universe, not just like restricted to like a battle arena yeah that that's a that's a huge first for uh pokemon and, and, and it seems like they have the catching mechanics of legends arceus where you can sleep which i love on pokemon um now i will say that the last few gener- i am a huge fan of the designs of the starters but a lot of the other secondary Pokemon I've seen, including the legendaries they showed at the end of the trailer. I mean, they're okay, but I mean, I definitely would say that the first five or six generations Pokemon designs were much better. I don't know. I thought the Violet Legend, I don't, I can't remember what the name is, but I thought the Violet Legend looked pretty awesome. Twin, almost like a twin engine lizard type deal. So, I mean, you know, I just thought that was kind of a Nice touch because it's different from what we've seen and everything. You know, it just it fits with the theme because you know Zacian and Zamazenta fit the sword shield thing because you know one carried the rusted sword, one carried the rusted shield. This one, they worked on you know making them look unique, uh, and the only thing that really made them fit the title is just the color. Exactly, and I'm just I cannot. I cannot tell you how hyped I am for this game, Josh. I, I can't tell you how hyped I am for November 18th. Um, I'll tell you what. 
since we're basically brothers, we're far past friends these days. We're like brothers. You, that. you pick one version, and I'll pick the opposite. Well, I'm pre-ordering both, but we'll we'll tell you, whichever one you pick. I'll you make sure to have the other ready to tag team with it. So we'll be ready. Well, I like Violet because uh, there's this Nintendo YouTube. Uh, this there's this employee that used to work for Nintendo that I follow on Twitter, and the professor in that game looks just like him. It's like it's like they just took a, they like Nintendo's like oh we used to have this employee we're gonna rip off his entire looks and just make him the new <laughs> professor in the game. Yeah, I was thinking of, I was thinking of going Violet as well, but I'm probably going to end up getting Scarlet anyway because that's how I did Sword and Shield. That's how I've done a lot of the Pokemon games, really. I've ended up getting both. So, I whichever like, one. I feel, I feel like it was more mandatory back in, like, the 90s and early 2000s when you had to use, like, link cables and stuff, and you could rarely get in contact with your friends enough to do trades and stuff. So, you know, from what I've seen in the trailer you don't even have to go to like a Pokemon center or anything. It looks like you can just go to like an options menu or something, just trade from wherever you're standing. Yeah, that's true too. So, but you know, just depends on who's got Violet and who's got Scarlet. That's why I'm getting both that way. I know which one to play. All right. But, uh, now you have some video game stuff. You were excited. Well, I'm excited about too, but you definitely mentioned to, to me first and that is Sonic Frontiers. Yes, we've gotten a couple of gameplay trailers and everything like that, and uh, you know, I'm seeing. You notice how there's starting to be a little more resemblance to Breath of the Wild. Is that a coincidence? Nah. Told you, Breath of the Wild was that kind of an influential thing. But I mean, I understand why your perspective was the way it was. We went down that rabbit hole many a times. Yeah, man. So we were about we were about to have to change the name of the podcast to the Wild Breath of the Wild's Great versus Not <laughs> debate. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Breath of the Wild too, which we know has been delayed to twenty twenty three. So let's just go ahead and get that out of the way before we dive back in. Um, but also want to touch in on the fact that I was watching. Uh, a show called Broken Skull Sessions. So this is where Stone Cold Steve Austin comes in. That's his kind of podcast-ish style show. And they had a segment with uh, the son of Dusty Rhodes, Cody, who's a big Zelda fan. Uh, favorite Zelda, or best Zelda game, to which he said Ocarina of Time. Cody did. Stone Cold's rebuttal was Breath of the Wild. What? That is, that is, it just, it's kind of, I obviously would have thought that would have been reversed, but. It just, mean, it just blows my mind at this point that Stone Cold even just acknowledges Legend of Zelda. So, cheers to that. Well, man, video games starting to become a point. I mean, the stigma around video games, much like comic books, is it was a thing for nerds back in the 80s and early 90s. Now video games become a thing. It just. It's because it's the fastest growing, and I think it might be the largest uh, type of media in the world. You know, now it's cool to be nerdy. So. Yeah, man. Like my brother, God bless his soul, man. He's he's in his four. He's about fifteen years older than me, so he's 
42-43 now, I forget. But he grew up in the 90s. You know, he got bullied for liking Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and all that stuff. And then there's me that grew up. And I feel like we were supposed to be in different – we were supposed to be in each other's time frame. And then, you know, there he was now over at the wedding and everything, showing all of us his comic collections and everything like that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, my brother – my brother's a cool guy, man. That he is. That he is. I didn't get to, you know, really have a whole, whole lot of interaction with him. From, but from what I saw, I couldn't agree more. But, um, but yeah, so we know that that's going to dive into 2023. Um, but I don't mind that because, as we say, better to be rushed and great. Or not better to be rushed. Better to be delayed and great than rushed and buggy. Do you know it was actually proven that uh, Shigeru Miyamoto did not say that. That's like one of the most iconic game phrases that's attributed to him, and he wasn't even the one that said it. Yeah, well, I mean, it would seem like something that he would say, though. Oh, for sure. But you know, it is it is what it is, though. But I mean, there is truth to that statement, no matter who it was that said it first. That is the everlasting truth. That is the video game world today. It, um, it, it does suck when games get delayed, man, because I can't tell you how excited I was for Breath of the Wild. To but their delay is most of the time for good reason. I agree. Most delays. Then, yeah, then you have delays like Cyberpunk that basically just ruin the game. Because remember, it was supposed to have one release date, then that release date got pushed back, and then that got pushed back again. And then it still came out buggy. It did. That's. I heard it's even still buggy for like PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X and S. Now, granted, it was also in the middle of the whole COVID quarantine thing. So, I mean, you do have to take that into account. But at the same time, when you had all these years that you've been working on it and everything, and then when you don't, you know, when you don't start managing it properly and then the crunch starts coming in, then that's when mistakes happen. It's true. Because it comes down to management. Because, you know, these people have to appease the shareholders in the companies and shareholders are probably getting impatient because, you know, Cyberpunk was supposed to be this revolutionary um, masterpiece and that's that the, was not not the case. That was not the case for sure. I I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen a game receive such vehement backlash. But you know, but I mean, we knew Breath of the Wild was going to be delayed too because you know you got to think too. Twenty twenty two for Nintendo is pretty big as well. So you know, don't want that either getting lost in the shuffle or overshadowing the other big things that Nintendo is doing. So. You know, they've always run a smart business model. So that, you know, like I said, they know what they're doing with their delays. So we ain't got to worry about that. Have you noticed something about Zelda games on Switch, my my friend? What's that? Okay. Breath of the Wild released with the OG Switch. Mm-hmm. Link's Awakening was released the same day as the, uh, what's that, Switch Lite, I think. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Skyward Sword released roughly around the same time that the OLED model came out. So, yeah. So is Breath so is Breath is Breath of the Wild two coming out with? I wouldn't say something comparable to like uh, a PS4 Pro, like you know, like yeah. a half, like a half step. Are we are we getting a game that probably runs maybe 1080 uh, on the screen and like 1550 docked with better load times and stuff? Anything's possible. We'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I figure because Nintendo has not had their summer announcements as of yet. We know that Direct will end up coming eventually later on in the month. It, it, typically, but, it typically comes out around June 10th to June 14th. So if, you know, Nintendo wants to give me a birthday present, they could release it on my birthday. Um. So, you know, we may not see an announcement on this one here, but who knows? We could see an announcement maybe towards the end of the year. I would say that's true. I'll tell you what's probably going to be announced this direct, though, and probably released the same day. The the second set of Mario Kart booster course pass. Oh, yeah. So we'll have that to talk about as soon as that comes out, too. Absolutely. Because let me tell you, for a while there, I was racing Ninja Hideaway daily. I love that track. So, yeah, it's definitely time for some uh, some new courses to drop because I'm definitely itching to get back in the car. Or actually, on the on the bike. That's what I use. I'm I'm bike rider for Mario Kart. I'm still a little jaded about Mario Kart because Talena beat me at that arcade machine in Tennessee. <laughs> hey, <clears throat> we got we to gotta initiate new blood in, so... Always a welcome to the club. For sure. Now, are but, there? Any, uh, I, I know you were talking about Street Fighter Six. Now, I'm nowhere near the Street Fighter fan that you are, so I will now completely let you take over. I haven't really kept up with video games much the last couple of weeks because of the wedding and honeymoon stuff. So, if there's anything you would like to talk about, just take the floor, and I'll try to chip in on the conversation when I can. Well, let's jump back to Sonic Frontiers real quick because we again dive off into Zelda because of it and stuff like that with the influences but it seems like the combat and the traversal and everything seems like it you know runs pretty smooth but we'll see how the uh if it can survive the Sega bug test because you know how the Sega bug test works especially with Sonic love their hearts it's always a struggle sometimes I've always been a big Sonic guy but hopefully this is definitely uh, better than what Forces was. It seems like it will be. But, um, you know, you just got to hold on that maybe this can kind of be Sonic's version of what they want for their version, I guess, of a Mario Odyssey type deal, too. Because <clears throat> it kind of has a similar type of influence there as well. But... um Definitely very exciting, and you know, from what I've seen of the gameplay footage, it looks smooth, looks great. Seems like it runs pretty good, but uh, you know, we'll see. Time will tell once all the pieces end up coming together there. And then you alluded to 2023's release of Street Fighter VI. Now, I've always been more of a Tekken and Mortal Kombat guy, but now I do like some Street Fighter every now and then too. And uh, you know, I started getting 
a little bit more into Street Fighter with uh, Street Fighter Five and everything. Of course, I've played Street Fighter Two. Everybody's played Street Fighter Two at some point in their lives. Excuse me, but um, from what I've seen, it's also got an open world aspect, almost kind of like I don't know if you remember the Midway Mortal Kombat titles, kind of like uh, Deadly Alliance or Deception or the last one that they had, which was uh, Armageddon. But on a couple of those, there was a conquest mode that was kind of open world exploration in a sense and then in some areas you could pick up pick fights and whatnot um and it seems like street fighter 6 is going to have that kind of similarity to it um and some of the character models got redone too ryu has a beard now so that's definitely different but uh the gameplay still looks pretty phenomenal. So uh, when you get time, you gotta check the trailer out for it. It's actually also going to come out, I think it said, for PS4 as well, maybe. Not just the 5 and the Xbox and the PC, but I think it's also going to end up coming out on the 4 too. That might be the last Street Fighter to come out on the 4. <clears throat> but as far as I know, it said it's coming for the 4. So that'll be big for people who, you know, still having the four not able to get access to the five yet so that you know that in itself is pretty big it's of an announcement there um now one that's not coming to the four that I, that i'm excited about that got announced actually during uh star wars celebration towards the end of the month of may was star wars jedi survivor that one i definitely got to talk about there uh, continuing the adventures of uh, cal kestis and company and seeing a Grand Inquisitor over there. Oh, hang on one second, folks. We'll be right back. Folks, once again, I want to apologize for that. One of these days, we are going to be able to have a podcast where the audio is completely 100% one piece of audio, and we don't, <laughs> have to, we don't have to break it off and segregate it into two separate halves of the podcast. Um, I've actually just bought a new uh, mouse for my laptop, so I'm probably going to start uh, using my headset and my mic on that to record my episodes instead of my phone. So this will probably be the last episode I do on my phone. But anyways, uh, last I had a track of our conversation, Josh was talking about Street Fighter Six. Yep, and then uh, uh, we were talking about how it has more of an open world aspect to it uh, where you can run around and explore and then pick fights that way too. So it's going to be kind of cool to see something different with that and it's also going to come out for ps4 as well man so it's not just a five xbox and pc release ps4 from what i've seen is going to get this release as well so that's big news i mean 
I just I don't get how game companies. I mean, I understand that you want to promote uh, the sale of the new console, but I, if I remember right, the PS4 sold like a hundred ten million units or something like that. So it's hard to leave an install base like that behind, especially with how uh, limited access to PS5s and Xbox mm-hmm. Series Xs are. Now, one that's not coming to the fore, but one that I'm excited about is uh, was announced during Star Wars Celebration at, back at the end of May, and that's Star Wars Jedi Survivor, continuing the adventures of one Cal Kestis and company as uh, they look at a new Grand Inquisitor who is looking to take this new Jedi Knight down. Because in Jedi Fallen Order, the first game, he was a Padawan that became a Jedi Knight. Now we see his adventures as a Jedi Knight. And got to wonder how things are going to be different this time around as opposed to the first game. But either way, it's all very exciting and it's interesting to see the... uh, It got a lot of good reception from the fans over there who saw the trailer and uh, seeing the new character models for Cal Kestis and everything. So I'm definitely excited for it and ready to see the new lightsaber customizations that end up coming with it. You know, hopefully still as vast as it was in Fallen Order. And uh, get some new uh, clothing customizations as well. And being able to customize the ship, customize BD-1, the droid that Cal has with him. So it'd be cool to kind of have those options again. That's become, if you notice, that's become a mainstream thing recently in the past, I'd say, five, six years, is the customization of characters. Now, there were always a few games that allowed you to do it but you know you know link was typically stuck in his green tunic white pants and brown boots and mario stuck in his red hat emblazoned with the m emblem the overalls and the white gloves but now it just seems like especially nintendo's really rolling with the character customization and that's and that's actually a good thing too it's not bad to shake things up a little bit because fundamentally they're still the same it's just, you know, it's not a bad idea to put on a fresh coat of paint every once in a while. When does that ever hurt? It doesn't. It, eventually, a game series will become stale, so you have to do something to it. Which is why, I, that's another reason I'm not completely against Breath of the Wild. Because, I mean, yes, I love the tried and true Zelda formula, and I always will. But, I mean, the open and I'm in, Yeah, and I'm interested in seeing the customization options with Breath of the Wild too and maybe seeing if they do something with that arm. If they could just, if they would just blend the two styles together, if just give me themed dungeons, like fire dungeon and an open world that you can tackle in any order, that'd be the best game ever. No doubt. No doubt that would be my favorite game of all time. Well, I didn't see anything related to Divine Beast as far as Breath of the Wild 2 and what we've seen so far, so maybe... Yeah, I'd love to see, like, that corpse, which, I mean, I'm assuming everybody and their mom assumes that's Ganondorf. Or Demise. Or some version of it. Because it kind of had a semblance in the hair to Demise. You and I talked about this. We have. But um, back to Jedi Survivor. So that one's going to come out also in 2023, along with Street Fighter VI. So big for 2023 already. Speaking of 2023... Some of the PlayStation State of Play that came out a couple days ago is also focused on 2023. Remake for Resident Evil 4, 2023. Final Fantasy 16, 
summer of 2023. It's going to be a big year for some AAA titles in 2023. I swear, I don't think there's been any game in existence that's been remastered or retooled more than Resident Evil 4. It it seems like 4, or in some circles, Resident Evil 2 seems to... Those two are arguments for the mecca of the series. I mean, I, I agree with four. I mean, I'm not much into horror games. I mean, I'm not scared of them. I'm just not, they don't really interest me that much. But, I mean, I can say that four did at least capture my attention somewhat. And then, uh, of course, Spider-Man 2, also 2023. We can't forget about that one. Can't forget old Venom over there. That's hiding in the alley. Breath of the Wild 2 and most likely God Award at Ragnarok. It's gonna be twenty three. It's gonna be a tough year. I mean that one's gonna be a big year. And I think that's also another reason for Nintendo's delay. They need something to compete with titles like a Street Fighter Six, like Star Wars Jedi, you know. Like a lot of these games that are coming out, like Spider Man. Well, couldn't they have put whatever iteration of Mario's coming out next? Because I mean it's been almost five years since Odyssey released and it and Mario's development time doesn't tend to take nearly as long. It's almost six. That's almost six years since Odyssey, man, because that came out the same year Breath of the Wild did. Right. September would be six years. Yeah, September would be six years, I believe, for Odyssey. Isn't 2017 to 22 five? Well, by the time they release the next game, it'd be six years. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I get you now. I'm sorry. Because, you know, from the looks of it, they haven't said anything that they're releasing one this year. So it'd be uh, probably next year before that one came out. Maybe they're doing a Zelda Mario doubleheader, which in that case would be big for Nintendo in 2023 to stack up against the competition. I'll tell you what they need to do, though, is put the last two 3D Zeldas that aren't on Switch on the system in a Wind Waker and Twilight Princess double pack. I could see that. But that because they because since the Switch has come out, they've had something Zelda themed every single year. Breath of the Wild the first year. Uh, I want to say that Cadence of Hyrule game, and then Link's Awakening, then Age of Calamity, and then uh, Skyward Sword HD. So, and don't forget Definitive Edition of Hyrule Warriors of the first one. That's true as well. So, and especially now with the official death of the 3DS, that definitely puts, uh, you know, options limited there. But, you know, we knew that part was coming, too, with how well the Switch did as a portable and as a home console. Like, it was everything the Wii U was supposed to be, and it did it so much better. Um, The Wii U almost killed Nintendo. The Switch saved them. I've always said the Wii U was kind of like a prototype for the Switch. Oh, yeah. A very failed prototype, but a prototype. But, man, you know, props to them for sticking to it and everything like that and learning from those mistakes. I mean, man, you know me, I like some PlayStation games. I'm not really an Xbox guy, but I know there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of fans of all those things. I don't want to see any console fail. I, I wish no. that, 
I wish I wish uh, Sega could get back into it. Honestly, you know, and honestly, the way we have it right now, the big three there, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, just start celebrating each other's successes. I mean, heck, if Ed Boon, the creator of Mortal Kombat, can congratulate uh, Harada-san, Katsuhiro Harada, the creator of the uh, Tekken franchise, just uh, yesterday for where Tekken 7 has now sold 9 million copies. Congratulations to them on that. You know, that's never an easy feat. You know, if Ed Boon can congratulate them on Twitter for that, and then Harada promote Street Fighter 6 as well in a positive light, then it can be done. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like they're so segregated in terms of the kind of games they produce that they don't really combat with one another now obviously Mm -hmm. obviously they need their exclusives i mean Mm -hmm. that's just thing that's what sells their systems at the end of the day but i mean i mean and all three companies have great exclusives i mean that's what i I mean it's it's for everybody that's what the whole thing is supposed to be it is for everybody Video games yeah, are meant for everyone, man, and everybody just need. I don't understand console wars or anything. I don't argue. I used to be one of those people that be like, Brett Favre's better than Tom Brady. Kobe Bryant's better than Jordan and LeBron. I just there's no time to compare anymore because you can't. You don't know what Jordan would have done in the same game Kobe did, or you don't know what Kobe would have done in the same game Jordan did. Same for appreciate LeBron. greatness. Appreciate, appreciate greatness for what it is. Exactly. Because you never know when it's going to be over. Because, man, as much as I don't like him, I mean, I know the NBA won't be the same once LeBron James retires. And, and same thing. who's going to step up then? Then, you know, and then the next generation was after him, like Steph Curry and Durant, they're going to go. And then the, like, the. You have to be able to adapt with the times. You do. Because times are ever-changing. But just sit back, strap in for the ride, because it's going to be a heck of a blast. But anyway, we've digressed into that subject. We've covered some of the state of play. We've covered some of the titles that were going to be released. Covered some of the favorites there. Might as well cover some of the rest of the ones that are coming out in 2022. Just touch on a little bit. Respect to EA I don't say that very often, but respect to EA for putting Madden back on the cover of Madden. Oh, for sure. That was the right right move. That was the move that people, I mean, a lot of us expected that, but you never know with EA. So good on them for doing the right thing with that. That that should be the permanent cover is just Madden at this point. I just hope that's a goodwill gesture, and they really genuinely did care about not just to, you know, some people tend to take celebrity tragedy and spin it for profit. Yeah. But, you know, it'd be nice if EA just kind of gave the touch of that old school feel, just kept Madden on the cover from, like, how it was back then. But uh, it's nice that the three different editions for Madden 23 have different covers for Madden. It's not just the same one, not just the same picture. You know, so that's actually a nice touch to it. So uh, might actually end up getting Madden 23 just because of that. Um, and then uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is also going to be coming out in October 
I think it's October 28th, I want to say. So right around the time of my birthday. So hop on to that a little bit. And then uh, uh, Gotham Knights is also coming out in late October as well. So kind of excited about that one as well. So a lot of, you know, a lot of good titles coming out this year, but the big ones, we got to wait a little bit. We're halfway there. Always living on a prayer. We'll be there in 2023 when they do drop. Oh, for sure. And uh, a couple games, honorable mention, I'm going to give a shout out to are Bayonetta 3 and Mario plus Rabbit Sparks, I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, look forward to both them as well as whenever, hopefully, the conflict in Ukraine and Russia finally dies down, they'll release Advanced Wars 1 plus 2 reboot camp. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see where the video game journey takes us next. But um, despite that, I also need to touch in a little bit on uh, catching up on the new Obi-Wan series that came out on Disney+. And man, you know, it just reminded me a lot of why... I became a fan because of the prequel trilogy and everything like that. It's good to see the prequel trilogy start to get more of the love that it should have had and everything. Um, but they did such, they've done such a great job with the storytelling and it's not just a nostalgia thing, but it's also just the fact that, you know, they're covering you know, a pretty lost chunk of time. So it's good to see that they're filling that in with what happened or what caused him to go from Obi-Wan to Ben Kenobi and everything like that. So, you know, it's filling in the holes there. And, you know, some of the downside to it is seeing people just nitpick and just, talk down, review bomb just because it's not the way they wanted it or anything like that. That's why sometimes we can't have nice things is because you some people just will not let us enjoy it. Yeah, man, that's why that's the thing I've noticed too in all mediums. People like people get onto you for having an opinion and liking something. There are some games that game critics reviewed as like a six or seven or even lower. That I loved, and then there are games that were like nine and tens that they reviewed. That I was like, eh. Yeah. It's really, all, it's really all about interpretation and personal preference when it comes to things like that. So you know, you have you know, and that and that's the thing. Though. Find the things that you like, but just don't ruin the enjoyment of things that the rest of us enjoy. Because we may not, you know, so, you know, some people like Star Trek. That's fine. It's it's not my bag, but more power to them for watching it. I have no problem with that. You know, it's exactly. But man. just, but just, you know, don't have a superiority complex that makes you think that what you like or how you would do things if you were running the show or anything like that would be better. Let us enjoy the things that we enjoy because that's the thing of it. Because sometimes 
It's an escape from the craziness of the world that we live in. And, and that's is- why sometimes I tune off uh, social media. Because honestly, it does me a lot better to enjoy the things that I've enjoyed for many years. Whether it be Star Wars, whether it be video games, whether it be sports, whether it be Yu-Gi-Oh, whether it be anything of that nature. It allows me a sense of peace to know that I can enjoy these things and not have to worry about somebody saying or trying to ruin it for me. Absolutely. And that that's a great way. That's just a great mindset to have. Because, I mean, no matter what you do in life, it doesn't matter. If you can do something amazing... Like cure can let's let's just say I somehow became a medical expert and I cured cancer. Well, you know, there'd be the large majority of people that would be like, Hey, this man cured cancer, it's the greatest thing in the world. Then there was then the other people like, Hey, I could have done it quicker and more efficiently or something. I mean, no matter what you do in life, no matter how good it is, no matter how bad it is, somebody's gonna have a critique of it. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not gonna be able to please everyone. So you know, way I look at it is is love what you I love do, go, love what you love do what you want to do and just enjoy life make the most of it the way you want to exactly and that's a good way of putting it now that we've wrote in on that soapbox let's end it on the uh, on a note of what what do you think we can give as a preview for next week hmm well there's a certain bearded redheaded stranger that appeared a few podcasts ago that we've been dying to have back huge basketball aficionado and relative of josh buchanan here yep yeah it's it's time to bring cousin tyler back in because this is right up his alley this time of the year is right up his alley because we will have a couple of games of the nba finals in by that point so uh you know, it would definitely be a strong talking point there because, let's see, game two is not till Sunday. Then I don't really remember the schedule after that. Yeah, I thought it was always just two days between games. Like, might, uh, just be Thursday, might just be Thursdays and Sundays. Could be. We'll have to dive into that, but we'll be ready for it by next week. Either way, it happens, no matter what. So, yeah, yeah, we'll have him on there. We'll talk NBA Finals. And, uh, you know, until then, we're just counting down until we actually have more football things to talk about. So, until then, we got basketball. You know, we got the violence of hockey as we get closer to crowning the hockey champion in the Stanley Cup. And... You know, there's always video game talk, and maybe then that red Nintendo logo will have some news about what's coming this year and next. Either way, man, I'm going to be excited. Um, I love doing the podcast with you. This is a weekly thing that absolutely makes my week. I mean, I don't really get a chance to talk to a lot of people um, with the life I live now, having to raise two kids and now being a husband. I just don't have a lot of time, but this podcast is something I love making time to do. 
I love getting to engage with listeners. I, and But most of all, I enjoy just getting the time to talk to you, brother. Hey, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And maybe some point we should, uh, hmm, I don't know, maybe we should try to do this joint live sometime. That, that'd be awesome. Uh, if I'm, if I remember our group chat correctly, aren't we supposed to be hanging out in like two or three weeks? I believe so. So, uh, maybe at some point we should test that theory out. Yes, sir. But anyways, you all have a good night. Josh, you have a good night. Hope you and Courtney have a good rest of your week. Praying the same thing for me, Talena and the boys, and we will be back at it with you. We'll catch you next time on the Shrewscast. Until then, good night and goodbye. Goodbye.